Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
Today is Tuesday, December 3rd, 2019. Coming up on Roland Martin Unfiltered, the big story of the day. California Senator Kamala Harris drops out of the 2020 presidential race. Was she treated unfairly by the press? What mistakes did she make? Also, what does it say about black women running for president? I've got an all-black female panel ready to break this thing down right here on Roland Martin Unfiltered. Also, uh, in the House, they continue the impeachment inquiry against uh, President, uh, you know, that dude. Well, joining us is going to be Congresswoman Karen Bass, uh, of course, who is the chair of the Congressional Black Caucus. And also, former FCC chair Mignon Clyburn is here to talk about the war between content creators and cable companies. Oh, yeah. A lot of black women on today's show. Like Tyler Perry says, when you own your shit, you can do that. It's time to bring the funk on Roller Mark on the filter. Let's go. He's got it. Whatever the miss, he's on it. Whatever it is, he's got the scoop, the fact, the fine. And when it breaks, he's right on time. And it's rolling. Best believe he's knowing. Putting it down from sports to news to politics. With entertainment just for kicks, he's rolling. After 1 p.m. Eastern on today, news began to spread that California Senator Kamala Harris was dropping out the 2020 presidential race. This is the video she released to her supporters when the news went public. Eleven months ago at the launch of our campaign in Oakland, I told you all that I am not perfect, but I will always speak with decency and moral clarity and treat all people with dignity and respect, that I will lead with integrity and I will speak the truth. And so that's what I've tried to do every day of this campaign. And here's the truth today. I've taken stock and I've looked at this from every angle. And over the last few days, I have come to one of the hardest decisions of my life. So here's the deal, guys. Um, my campaign for president simply does not have the financial resources to continue and the financial resources we need to continue. I'm not a billionaire. I can't fund my own campaign. And as the campaign has gone on, it has become harder and harder to raise the money we need to compete. In good faith, I cannot tell you, my supporters and volunteers, that I have a path forward if I don't believe I do. So, to you, my supporters, my dear supporters, it is with deep regret, but also with deep gratitude, that I am suspending our campaign today. But I want to be clear with you. I am still very much in this fight, and I will keep fighting every day for what this campaign has been about. Justice for the people, all the people. Our campaign has been about fighting for people whose voices have not been heard or are too often ignored. And we will keep up that fight. Let's remember, we were the first to put the injustice of inadequate teacher pay on the national agenda. And we will certainly keep up that fight. We were the first to demand justice for our children, declaring we would take bold executive actions to stop gun violence. We will keep up that fight.
we were the first to demand justice for women with a plan to block unconstitutional state abortion laws. We will keep up that fight. And our campaign uniquely spoke to the experiences of black women and people of color and their importance to the success and the future of this party. Our campaign demanded no one should be taken for granted by any political party. We will keep up that fight because no one should be made to fight alone. And I believe our campaign showed every child in America, regardless of their color or gender, that there are no limits to who can lead and hold positions of power in our country. In that way, this campaign has been so much bigger than me. So I'm extremely grateful to the hundreds of staff who have moved and uprooted your lives and sacrificed time away from your families. I know our fight has been personal for each one of you. And I could not have done this without my husband, Doug, and my entire family and friends who gave up so much to embark on this journey with me and have supported me every step of the way. And I am grateful to the thousands of volunteers and contributors who have chipped in, who have knocked on doors, who have made calls, and who have put their faith and trust in me. It has been the honor of my life to be your candidate. And I want to be clear, although I am no longer running for president, I will do everything in my power to defeat Donald Trump and fight for the future of our country and the best of who we are. And I know you will, too. So let's do that together. Let's keep fighting for the America we believe in, an America free of injustice, an America that we know can be unburdened by what has been. Thank you, guys. It, of course, uh, was no surprise, but more shock for lots of folks. Uh, there have been a number of stories written uh, about her uh, political obituary in the last several weeks. Politico has written several stories. The New York Times had a devastating story recently that even included the resignation letter of one of her white staffers who left to go work on the campaign of Mike Bloomberg. Uh, a lot of black women. Uh, not happy with today's news. Also, there were black men who certainly supported her and others as well. So we want to talk about this right now. Joining us in studio, Melanie Campbell, President and CEO, National Coalition on Black Civic Participation, also Black Women's Roundtable. Uh, also, L. Joy Williams, she joins us. She's, of course, president of the Brooklyn NAACP, but also a member of Higher Heights, uh, one of the uh, organizations that endorsed uh, Senator Kamala Harris. And Glenda Carr joining us on the phone, president, excuse me, uh, FaceTime, president and CEO of Higher Heights of America. Uh, and so I want to start uh, first with uh, you, Glenda. Uh, and that is, we were, of course, at the breakfast in Atlanta uh, that took place after the debate there. Uh, packed room of black women who were there to uh, support Senator Kamala Harris. Uh, but it was interesting because I saw a story that was one sister who was there, but she also came out of there saying she wanted, she was going to be supporting other candidates. What, what, what do you think brought us to this day? You heard what the senator had to say, but what brought us to this point where you had, after, after Congresswoman Shirley Chisholm, and then of course Kara Mosley Braun, who ran in 2004, and now Senator Kamala Harris dropping out, some say this early, before even one, one state voted? I mean, I think it's a couple of things. So yes, uh, Roland, I think we do need to celebrate the moment. 
um, that, uh, you know, in 1972, Shirley Chisholm boldly stepped out and, you know, as a black woman from Brooklyn uh, who did not look like the face of leadership that America was used to, um, you know, declared her candidacy. Um, Fast forward 47 years later, you have a Kamala Harris who, when it's all said and done, the day that she dropped out, she was still, if you look at um, a top you know, a top candidate, a top tier candidate, a, um, a front runner. Uh, she's a serious candidate. Um, but what reminds us today is that there's still barriers that exist for women, um, people of color, women of color, and particularly black women as relates to um, people's perceptions of our viability as candidates. And when we allow, you know, mainstream media and polls um, to dictate um, who should be the front runner, what happens is it, um, creates the dynamic that is already a barrier for um, women of color to raise money um, and to be viable. We are probably going to see more money raised and spent or spent because many of the candidates are self-funded in this election cycle um, more than ever. So as we celebrate the diversity of the stage, we need to recognize that, uh, you know, Secretary Castro, um, Senator Harris and Senator Booker are all um, you know, still fighting to ensure that they have the resources they need to be able to introduce themselves to the electorate. Uh, Melanie, here's a reality, though, and that is if Senator Kamala Harris was polling at 15 or 18 percent just in South Carolina, she's still in this race. Mm -hmm. um, you had uh, the mayor of Columbia, South Carolina, uh, who, just, who just endorsed Bloomberg, who said... I don't know what the hell's going on with how bad Harris and Booker are doing in South Carolina, where black people uh, are going to make up potentially half of all voters in the Democratic primary. Um, and so why do you think she even struggled for black support? What do you think happened here? Well, I'm going to... Uh, first of all, I want to thank Har Heights <laughs> for stepping out there and boldly uh, endorsing. I think that was a powerful, powerful moment. Also... For, for black women, to see black women stepping up. So I want to thank... And I want to thank Kamala Harris for stepping up and running. Um, I polls say all kinds of things, Roland, right? The poll we did, uh, and, and we were doing one every month uh, with our Black You Vote. Young people, you know, it may not be the polls you see on, on, on the news, but we weren't seeing her down like, like what they were saying in those polls. And in the Essence poll that we did... Uh, she, uh, with millennials, she was uh, still, almost, was, was tied for, for uh, one of the top three. So I don't buy this waiting on the polls, because at the end of the day, it's the vote. And so what I, you know, I, I would say as a black woman, I'm very disappointed, but I can, I'll, I'll, but also have to respect the sister for stepping up and realizing she couldn't take it to the next level. Um, we have to also ask ourselves, why was she t targeted so? I felt, in many ways, uh, she was... Yes, women have a hard time, but at the end of the day, when she was polling higher in some of those m more broader uh, opinion polls, she still wasn't getting the kind of coverage she should have gotten. But right? some, so, something happened here. Look, let's, let's go... Because, Eldra, let's look at this. The first... Coming out of the gate, mm -hmm. in the first three months, the highest-rated town halls on MSNBC and CNN were Senator Kamala Harris. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Out of all the candidates, highest rated. So clearly there were people who wanted to hear from her, see what she had to say. I think if you start looking at, you're absolutely right in terms of coverage, but also I think there were some fatal mistakes. Mm -hmm. 
One that really jumped out. Obviously, there were people who were focusing on her record as a prosecutor. Right. But she did not release a criminal justice reform plan until the Monday before the debate at TSU in September. Mm-hmm. You open in March. If that's your weakest link, if you will, or how folks are going to attack you, you cannot go five or six months and not have a criminal justice plan. Yeah. I, I think when you start looking at that, I think that was a huge deal because the narrative, her campaign, they allowed the narrative to be established before they established it. Yeah. Well, let's, you know, there are obviously some um, mistakes in the campaign, and right, you can, while you're doing the campaign, you think you're making the right decisions in terms of that. And those of us on the outside are saying, why didn't you do this or why didn't you do that? But let's also set the landscape of where we are in this race as well. Something that I try to keep reminding people, one, about the polls, right, is that how the polls and sort of the media coverage have an effect particularly on base Democratic primary mm-hmm. voters, um, particularly on black voters, on whether or not you can win. Right. Right. And so how that drives and issue. the electability is an issue, particularly with older black folks, as we saw in the presidential election with Barack Obama, where we he didn't poll until, you know, later because there was can he win? Right. So that's one instance. I think the other thing is because we have so many candidates and have so many candidates that have, you know, there's there's not very much light and day between a lot of the uh, primary um, candidates. There's some nitpicking you can do um, in terms of one person's plan over the other. Um, But the other thing is I find both anecdotally um, and you can see in the conversation, people have not not just one candidate that, but they have like three or four and I can walk in a booth and make a decision. And that's a different political landscape, right, than I have my one candidate and this is it. Right. Right. Those numbers, I think, are soft. Even the Biden numbers, I think, are soft. Mm -hmm. Because people will go in the booth and say, I have these options. Even myself, like before I came out in support of Kamala, I knew, okay, if I had to go in the booth and choose between these three or four, I could do it. And I think a lot of the electorate is going to be that way in this political landscape because people are looking for, you know, uh, uh, in trying to trade between each uh, between the candidates, but there's not a lot of difference that you can say starkly. You know, I'm for this person or this person. Now, I agree with you that there are things on the campaign um, that could have. I share your frustration talking about how strong she should have been and could have been um, in terms of her criminal justice record, because I feel like there's a lot of things. And as you saw in the town hall we did with her in South Carolina, she addressed some of those things. And and I heard from people who said, I wish she would have said that earlier. I wish she right. was, you know, I wish she talked about that earlier. So those are things, having run numerous campaigns, where you go back and think about, man, we should have did this, or if I had the resources to do that. But in terms of the landscape of all of that collectively, the collectiveness of raising money, the collectiveness mm-hmm. of the landscape of how polls and media attention is being used in this race, being black, being a woman, being of color, and sort of how all of the candidates of color in this race have been treated and focused on, right? Um, were there so many uh, obituary articles written about Beto before he dropped out? Right? <laughs> they have their bid, and there are problems with a lot of the other campaigns, right? right? But the hyper-focus of all of those on that. Glenda, I, I'll say this here, and I, I love the people uh, who are opposed to comments saying, Roland, you were, saying, were you not saying this before? I'm like, well, no, you're not paying attention. 
because I did. <laughs> One of the things that I have said, and this applies to Senator Hatch, but also Senator Booker, is that I, I am a firm believer of how do you lock down your base. That when you run for president, and I also, again, y'all, you can go pull the tape. I told everybody in year three of Obama, the next black candidate who runs for president is not going to have the same runway as Obama. Right, right. I y'all, go pull the tape. I said on TV One. I said on Time Jonah as well. But here is one of the things that I wish Senator Harris had done and Booker had done. I, and I said it in real time because I was trying to get them on. I believe the two of them also made a mistake in that they did not cultivate their black base two and three and four years ago. What I mean by that, Glenda, everybody knew she was going to be president. I felt... If I was on her staff, I would have said, Senator, we hitting every black major convention between now and when we announce it. We're going to go talk to the National Medical Association about health care, National Bar Association about mass incarceration, National Dental Association about health, dental hygiene. We're going to talk to every frat, every sorority. We're going to all these black groups because just because they were black senators, they were different from Obama. He, he wins in 2004, major speech at the DNC convention, and he also was basically the biggest black star on the political landscape. Well, after he becomes president, hell, it ain't the same. And so I think the lack of cultivating black people beyond New Jersey and California also, I think, had an impact because had they done so, more black folks would have known about them. I was, I can tell you, I was begging them to come on Tom Joyner during the hearings, during the Jeff Sessions confirmation. Couldn't get him to come on. And I'm like, y'all should be on black radio. It took us nine months to get her to come on TV One News One Now. And I kept saying, y'all gonna need black media. Again, cautionary tale, black politicians, Lock down your base before you announce because your base is what sustains you during rough times. Glenda, your thoughts? Well, I think it's a couple of things. Don't forget we're living the post-2016 election cycle, right? So I think uh, when it's all said and done, um, everyone thought that we would have four to eight years of Hillary Clinton. So if you look at the field, the Castro, Castro, Harris, and Booker, in theory, we're 2024 candidates, right? Um, and I think their strategy initially was like, how do we, you know, govern in a way that allow us to prepare for 2024? Well, enter in the, the election results in 2016, which then created a, um, a window for candidates to run in 2020. Um, so I sometimes imagine what would 2024 look like for those three candidates in particular? I do agree. I, I think they also, we were living in some of the most politically toxic and racially divisive times. And so they were digging in and doing, doing their work as senators. Um, I think, again, she's going to have lessons learned. There are going to be a ton of 
um, thought pieces that Eljoy will probably put out. I'm trying to figure out what we're writing <laughs> and what Melanie. So it, it, it will be the lessons learned from this. Yeah. But ultimately, it's like, how do you pivot and be ready? So ultimately, when you look at the, the field, you have a Bernie Sanders and a Joe Biden who've been on the scene forever, right? Not only as this national leaders, but also as presidential candidates. You had a Warren who, frankly, was ready to go in 2016, Right. Um, which made her her and her campaign and her team like prime for 2000 um, to 2020. Um, but imagine this. These candidates were fully funded and the ability to reach voters, not only, uh, you know, you know, Senator Harris had moved to Iowa and was doing the door to door in the small conversations because um, she was the biggest asset on the ground. Imagine a, a Harris campaign or a Booker campaign with enough resources to do the amount of um, um, social media ads and, and actual media buys to be able to be in living rooms and on um, um, computer screens across this country to be able to introduce themselves not only to black, um, you know, black voters and black women in particular, but to the larger electorate. Um, all things are possible with a couple of dollars. I want to bring in Monique Presley here. Then I'm going to go. Uh, I know y'all want to jump in. Uh, <laughs> uh, so just hold on. Uh, Monique, on that particular point, though, uh, she was raising money. She was in the top four um, after the first debate. Then it went downhill from there. Your assessment of what happened and just your thoughts about her pulling out today. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's not a good day. I, jo Joy, Melanie, I, um, I think what is important for viewers for your show is this. Don't be upset about the fact that she's not in the campaign. Okay, actually, hold, Monique, hold on one second. Hold on one second. I did not realize, I thought we had Congresswoman Karen Bass well, later in the show. Okay. I did not realize she was on. Pull her up, please. Lord, don't make her wait. No. Okay, all right, she has votes. Here's the deal, though. Okay, fine. So she has votes. Uh, we'll try to get her on a little bit later, so I'll send her a text. Monique, go ahead. I am seeing people complaining who did not donate. Mm -hmm. Shut up. Mm -hmm. What are you talking about? What, is, what does this mean to you if your entire contribution is lip service on Twitter, which most of the donating public isn't even on. I mean, we're aiming for, and L. Joyce knows way more about this than I do, for different demographic, different age group, et cetera, many of whom are not even participating on social media. But I see all these people saying what a shame it is, and now there won't be any black person okay. in the debate. In December, and she had already qualified to be on that the stage. Same. And Corey's right? already said that he's basically almost at the end of his rope. But, yeah. but... Yeah. I'm sorry, Senator Booker, go so, ahead. So I have certain feelings as somebody who the minute she announced started donating because and 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 I'm not going to only donate for to one campaign mm -hmm. um but to me if it's important then you know what it takes people to to support something that's important if your nails are important then the lady doesn't take it's really important for me to get my nails done it's hard cold cash so I was just there. I know uh, Joy, Joy was in South Carolina. I was in Atlanta. I was at um, the 
Black Women's Power Breakfast, but then also at a small group fundraiser, and she was very candid. Senator Harris was very candid about the fact that these folks who don't have anything to say at all had been on TV for weeks, some of the months in Iowa, and their ad, which was bomb, fantastic ad, was not even on yet because the money wasn't there. So I'm, this show is about the black community. Um, we should be supporting our own. You didn't have to get all in with her in order to support her. So uh, I'm, I'm all for this, what she should have done, but what about what we should have done? When you look at that stage in a couple of weeks and you don't see her there, that's on you. Wait, but I just heard the fact that in a couple of weeks, I was gonna out, say, of, out of the four about people of color who running, mm -hmm. the only one left standing is Andrew Yang. Yeah. Booker, Harris, and Castro will not be on that stage. Go ahead. Yeah, so I, I, I want to pivot a bit to Go talk ahead. about the diversity of our votes, right? So as Melanie mentioned, uh, you know, the polling that they were doing and seeing the uh, breakout of different generations of who they were supporting um, is important to note. We say a lot, and those of us in the organizing and political space, that black voters are not monolithic, right? And you also have to compete, as you mentioned, for our votes. Like, we ain't just checking because you black, no. right? So, like, there is some Jeez. thought process behind how we're voting. Um, because black so, folks did not vote for Braun or Sharpton in 2004. Exactly. <laughs> right? So, like, we understand electability. We understand also investing, and then you can see at the different generations right. um, how people support differently. And that's why I think it's really important to, um, as I mentioned, talk about the political landscape. Um, I also, uh, to, to your point about investing, this is why Higher Heights exist, right? Is, you know, we call ourselves, we're the political home for black women, whether they're running as candidates or also as voters, right? And sort of getting people in the uh, habit of that political stewardship that is not just your vote that you can um, voice politically with, but also your dollars, whether it's $5 a month or whoever. And as someone, I contribute to four campaigns um, throughout this process, um, just to make sure that they are continually in the conversation or on the debate and stage. Heard. And that their voice is heard, and particularly that they have a different aspect. The, the last thing I will say, and as I'm going to pivot to this tomorrow, is without a black woman in the race, and I'm just talking about the Democratic primary right, right now, which is largely where we vote so far, right? Because who knows what that's going to be 10 to 15 years from now. So even y'all folks that tweet and talk about we on the plantation and all that stuff like that, that hasn't always been the case from a historical standpoint. We know how to vote what's in our best interest. Right. And the Democratic Party happens to be the best interest at this and moment. And the Republican Party has said, in my presence, <laughs> Nobody hates us more than black people. <laughs> right. Like, no, that was a quote. Right. So get some better policies <laughs> right and some better now. candidates, and maybe we'll consider it. Until then, bye. Yeah. Right? So besides that, um, I think to your point about how do you appeal to the varying um, uh, political constituencies that exist within the black community is important as well. To not just thinking about black voters as this catch-all um, that you can grab, but but particularly how you're going to do a message um, and an investment, particularly with black women mm -hmm. at different stages of their lives, at different stages um, in age, at different stages in profession, and 
how you're going to build an operation to really speak to us. Now, without any of us on the stage, how does that happen? And how are our voice still leveraged in this current race without a black woman on the stage? I will say this. Um, the candidates left are going to have an even harder time with black women. That's, that's, that's what I'm getting. Um, the fact that we're not going to have that voice. I, I think about Atlanta. I was in Atlanta for the, for the last debate. And being in Atlanta, uh, being in the South, child of the South, and I'm listening, I'm looking at Andrew Young and, you know, this one and that one and, you know, King family there, Laurie, you know, all of that history. If it wasn't for Senator Harris and Senator Booker, our issues would never have really been discussed. But here's what's interesting, though. You, you know? But you bring that so, up, though. But and so, we were so in that's... a city where Keisha Lance Bottoms is the mayor, but even though Senator Harris came to Atlanta, the next day at your breakfast, she talked about mm -hmm. numerous times she came to the campaign for, she's endorsed Biden. Uh, and, that, and that's... So, and that's, that's right, no, no, I'm, I'm, just right. Making, I'm just making a point that... Right, right, so right. here's an example of a, of, of of, a of, black of, female of, senator right. saying how she vigorously campaigned for Keisha Lance Bottoms to become the second black woman mayor yeah. of Atlanta who endorsed Joe Biden. Yeah. Black yeah, folks. Right. And, 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 but, but, but my... So it's my point is, because we're not going to have uh, a, a, a Kamala Harris on the stage, Senator Harris on that stage, and barely looking no, like... No, Senator Booker's not going to make it. He's not going to make it. Right? So then we have to then what? We got to focus on this, what's left. And we got between now and... and my, I Biden, South Carolina, Sanders, right? Warren, this is what Buddha we got. Judge, Klobuchar. White folks. Right. That, that, that's what we got, right? A whole lot of white white folks. Who can't and so, win without and our so votes. Our vote... Right. We have to demand from these candidates even... We have to push even harder. Mm -hmm. Because there's nobody that's going to make it to, 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 to be on uh, be, be the nominee for the Democratic Party without black women. And so I think, I think we have to shift. I'm disappointed, but it's like, okay, move forward, okay? Glenda? Challenge. You won't win without us. Glenda, go ahead. 2020 is absolutely powered by black women. Um, and there's a couple of things I think we need to do if we're going to do a call to action for this day um, in uh, in the spirit of not only Shirley Chisholm's unbought and unbought um, leadership, but for Senator, Senator Harris, is that we need to ensure that these candidates that remain... Um, you know, invest in having serious conversations with black women. Mm -hmm. I do believe that in this election cycle, there has been more coverage, both in mainstream um, media and on um, 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 shows like yours, talking about um, black women and the issues that we care about. So we need to continue to have that, that conversation. I will say the direct correlation to that is that we, the candidates recognize that the, the building blocks for winning coalition um, starts with black women. But it's also there are more black women on presidential campaigns in leadership roles than we've seen in the um, in history's past. Um, and so that's that has allowed, I think, can campaigns to have these candidates to have a level playing field to talk about candidates. But you're going to need to come knock on my door. You need to actually come knock on it tomorrow. Uh, come in, have a cup of tea, and have conversations um, with me, my 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 aunts, my sisters, my sores, my my church mothers about the issues that we care about. Um, secondly, there are black women running up and down this ballot. Um, and so if we don't want to um, continue to see um, campaigns in like, like Kamala Harris, find a candidate that inspires you. It might be a black woman running for a school board, um, or it might be a woman running for Congress, um, and make a political budget 
um, and shift some of your economic power to political giving. And finally, it is us ensuring that we don't go to the polls alone, um, that we organize in a way in, in early states so that people recognize that black women are going to be a force leading into Super Tuesday. I want to bring this up. I just want to um, see what you have to say about this here. You talk about the candidates. The reality is that Russian troll farms continue to play a role in this election. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. She was targeted more than anybody else. More than, more than Biden, more than Sanders, more than Warren. Um, seems that Putin and Russia was kind of scared of this black woman. <laughs> I don't know if it's that they are scared of her or that just like the Mueller report revealed that anybody looking to infiltrate our election or our country knows that the third rail in the United States is that of race and particularly the uh, issues facing African Americans. Because we saw that in the Mueller report about how um, we were targeted on social media and others right. in general. Right. So if and and I agree with you, I mean, just tweeting about Kamala today, the amount of and my regular comments and from the folks who think she wasn't, you know, like real folks. So it was real folks commenting and critique. And I don't want to disregard folks that had real critique mm -hmm. of her candidacy and therefore endorse somebody else like those folks exist. And I'm not erasing that. Um, but there is also the issue of as soon as I started talking about it so, and not even hashtagging her name that there was direct sort of engagement in my mm -hmm. Twitter feed and other, um, right. because I was talking about her. That is a very real fact and something that we, uh, I don't think a number of people are paying real attention to mm -hmm. um, about how we use social media, which pe uh, black folks are a primary user of social media, and therefore how our communities and our conversations were targeted in the 2016 election, and how we are not completely built up and have a real frank yeah. Conversation yeah, we're about not, doing that for this election yeah. cycle at all. We're not ready. We're not ready to Absolutely. deal with it. Absolutely. The miscommunication, the misinformation that's been targeted towards African Americans and particularly black women um, is still is happening and will continue to happen. Yeah. Um, and one thing that we need to do as just regular individuals is check what you're forwarding. Like, mm -hmm. I, if I see something that's not from a major outlet, I actually still even check major outlets. Yeah, um, just do some fact-checking before you share, because we are micro-influencers. And when you share something, particularly black women, Nielsen stated in their 2017 report that um, people look to black women um, for leadership. And so when we share something on a social media feed, um, you know, our network um, is using us as an authentic messenger. So check before you share. Um, I want to bring in uh, someone. Y'all have seen her. Uh, she's getting mic'd up. Uh, Reese Colbert. She, of course, has been uh, sharing her thoughts on social media. Uh, let's just say she cussed a whole bunch of people out today <laughs> um, after news drop uh, of Senator Harris dropping out. You've been one of her most ardent supporters. Uh, not a good day for you. No, very tough day. But, you know, I had to give Senator Kamala Harris her props first. And then I cussed people out second, <laughs> you know, because it's still a historic campaign that she's run. I'm incredibly proud of her. I think all of us in the K-Hive are. So um, I think, you know, I've been watching the show on the way up here, and I think we can talk about coulda, woulda, shouldas, but um, I'm very proud, no matter what. What uh, particularly uh, ticked you off the most over the last several months uh, with the criticism or attacks on her? 
Well, I, I call it Operation Block the Black Woman. And I think that when you look at the outsized social media attacks, she's received 68% of the social media attacks of all the candidates. And yet she's only received 3% of the media mentions. And there's no telling how much of those media mentions are actually positive versus negative. So I think that when we're talking about the the level of attacks that she received versus the ability to counter those attacks, it just wasn't an even pl a level playing field. So that was the most frustrating part, is that she just didn't even have a level playing field at all. In addition to being a black woman, just the sheer volume of attacks against her is very um, hard to surmount. She opened uh, huge support. I think we should have the video, right, folks? Uh, when she opened her campaign, massive uh, rally that took place right. uh, in Oakland. Roll that if you have it, please. Uh, and again, this thing started off mm -hmm. in a huge way. Mm -hmm. As somebody who's followed it, where do you think it veered off the path, from your perspective? Um, I think there are a couple of things. I think you mentioned earlier she had the highest ratings in terms of her um, town halls. So the interest was there. I think that the media didn't want to feed that interest as much, and that's why her media mentions went down. But I do think that perhaps the debate um, with the moment with Joe Biden was a turning point. Um, I call that back of the bus primary, where I think that people um, reacted very strongly to her challenging um, our history, our, our, our bucking up, I guess, as a black woman and saying, you know, hey, this is our history and, and um, we're going to respect that and honor that. And I think that that got backlash from black people as well as white people. So I think that um, once people started to realize, like, hey, that little girl was me, is a black woman on the stage running for president, the energy kind of shifted a little bit. You talk about, uh, and anyone can jump in here, you talk about the impact. Uh, that was the case uh, when you had the debate there in uh, Atlanta. And the rallies is here. There were a lot of young black women mm -hmm. who were greatly motivated by seeing her on that stage and running. Um, what do you think that will mean for next generation, to, even though she's dropped out, to see her run? Yeah. She's, moved, she's, she's moved the ball forward. Uh, Melody, then yeah. Glenda, go ahead. Yeah, she's moved the ball forward, which is what I kind of mentioned earlier. I said, even with all the disappointment, I, I, I thank her for being bold and stepping in and, and stepping up and running. And she was she was highly qualified, no no doubt. And she and she commanded the stage. She may not have uh, uh, gotten all of the coverage we know she should have gotten. It's an issue. It's an issue for us as black women to figure out how. We work well, even more closely together to figure this thing out because at the end of the day, you know, she's still a senator. I can't wait to see when the impeachment starts um, for mm -hmm. 45 because she will be in. She'll, she'll be in the room on the Senate side. And so that and because and I, I, I remember being in that in that in that room during the um, Kavanaugh hearing, and her stepping up and being able to, you know, wanted to jump up and, and holler. But, you know, just, just being able to see this sister command the stage. And so I think, uh, you know, and she's young. She, she's relatively young. So, you know, who knows, right? May not be the last time. Glenda, will I go to you guys? Go to my iPad. This is a photo I shot of Senator Kamala Harris uh, speaking with a young black girl. We were in Atlanta after that breakfast. Uh, and I think that photo says it all in terms of uh, the impact of seeing that young lady, seeing someone look like her on that stage. Glenda, go right ahead. Yeah, I absolutely. I remember that. That little girl was in her Sunday best. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, first of all, I think the, the candidacy of Stacey Abrams, the candidacy of Kamala Harris, 
um, creates the possibilities that exist for little black girls across this country. Um, as relates to Stacey Abrams, the little black girls that wear their hair natural, um, as, as uh, uh, Stacey uh, says is, you know, who sturdy stature, um, they are changing what the face of leadership looks like um, for generations. Um, but it also shows that uh, there's work to be done. Um, executive level leadership is a place that um, needs investment for black women. Um, you know, in our country's history, there's only been 15 black women that have held statewide executive offices in this country. Um, and as you know, we've never 15? had um, 15 in our country's history. Um, and we've never had a black woman seated governor. We've had a black woman actually elected governor. <laughs> um, so there's work to be done. If we are telling young black women um, to step off the sidelines to run for office, that we need to create that pipeline so that our city council members, our state legislators, that our congressional members have pathways to the White House. And I think Stacey and Kamala have changed the playbook for that and frankly have inspired young black girls across this country um, to recognize, like there's gonna be a generation of black, um, young black women that don't remember a time when there weren't black women that were running for governor or that weren't running for, for president. Final comment, L. Joy. You know, one of I tweeted about this in the beginning of this race. I often had to check in with my own self before I was a supporter of Kamala. And I often had to check in with myself and ask myself, was I, um, did I want to hire, did I have a higher expectation for Kamala than I did for any of the other candidates? Right? Did I want her to be the perfect black candidate, the perfect black woman candidate? Um, and was I, were the critiques that I was given, were the thought process on whether I support her, was it fair? And that's something that we have to think about going to your, to your point as well, right? Is thinking that am I letting other people off the hook, all the other white candidates or other candidates with two bullet points of experience, am I letting them off the hook um, because I want the, only the best? Right right to come and represent me and it was during that like real conversation with myself and how i was analyzing her campaign her candidacy and her record to then coming to uh the decision to and that's something that we as voters have to do as glenda said we're going to see more black women set up because the this generation that's here and the one coming up are much more bolder much you know more willing to step out and 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 take the risk to run and to demonstrate their leadership and we're going to see that more and from a voter's perspective we have to check in with ourselves and ask ourselves are we do we have a higher bar for them mm -hmm. than we do for everybody else all right L. Joy, Melody, Glenda, I certainly appreciate y'all joining us. Monique and Reese, hold tight one second. I'm going to go to a break, folks. Thanks a bunch. Uh, just so y'all know, L. Joy has sent a tweet out uh, saying, well, hell, I'm in D.C. by myself, so she said, let me just go to my hotel and have this damn creme brulee before I go to dinner. So I, so I call, I saw straight up, y'all, I call L. Joy, I'm like, get your ass over here. She says, you trying to commiserate, come on over here and get on, get on the show. I'm like, like, where you at? Really, sis? I'm like, get really? over here. It's like, hey, so, again, I appreciate you being on the show. Got to go to break. We come back. Uh, Scott Bolden and Jason, Dr. Jason Nichols will join us uh, for part two of our conversation. Uh, of course, our top story is Senator Kamala Harris dropping out of the Democratic presidential race. We'll be back at Roller Martin Unfiltered in just a moment. You want to check out Roller Martin Unfiltered? YouTube.com forward slash Roland S. Martin. And subscribe to our YouTube channel. There's only one daily digital show out here that keeps it black and keep it real. It's Roller Martin Unfiltered.
See that name right there? Roland Martin on the field. Like, share, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. That's youtube.com forward slash Roland S. Martin. And don't forget to turn on your notifications so when we go live, you'll know it. You want to support Roland Martin Unfiltered? Be sure to join our Bring the Funk fan club. Every dollar that you give to us supports our daily digital show. There's only one daily digital show out here that keeps it black and keep it real as Roland Martin Unfiltered. Support the Roland Martin Unfiltered daily digital show by going to RolandMartinUnfiltered.com. Our goal is to get 20,000 of our fans contributing 50 bucks each for the whole year. You can make this possible. Roland Martin Unfiltered. All right, folks, it's the holiday season. This is when you think about spending time with your family and friends. This is also when you count your blessings and support those less fortunate. This year, be a holiday hero and change someone's life forever. Right now, hundreds of thousands of Americans are sitting in jail without being convicted of a crime. Why? Because they lack the financial resources to pay their bail. You are, think about it. When you're arrested for any minor offense, you will be taken directly to jail. If you don't have bail money, you will stay there until a court date is scheduled. That could be days, weeks, or even months. Simply put, America's bail system is broken for people of color. And folks, freedom should be free. That's why the Ebony Foundation has partnered with the Bail Project and is sponsoring the Home by the Holiday campaign. The Bail Project has helped bail out thousands of people over the years, and with your help, they plan to bail out a thousand people by New Year's Day. Now, how's that for a holiday gift? A donation from you today can change someone's life tomorrow. Now, folks, that you know people of color represent 50 to 90% of the jail population across the country. Without bail, nearly 90% of those charged with misdemeanors pled guilty. However, with paid bail, less than 2% receive a jail sentence. Sometimes justice just needs us. To be a holiday hero, you can donate 25, 50, or more to help the Ebony Foundation bring our brothers and sisters home. By the holiday, to donate, go to homebytheholiday.com. It's homebytheholiday.com. All right, folks, uh, joining, we're going to continue our conversation talking about Senator Kamala Harris dropping out. Of course, as I said, uh, Jason Nichols, of course, University of Maryland uh, professor, journalist A. Scott Bolden, uh, attorney here in D.C. Uh, gentlemen, uh, just your thoughts on the news today and what happens now? Because, again, as we said earlier, next Democratic debate, is in, I think it's next week, uh, it's in a couple of weeks. And so you're going to have, for the first time in this cycle, Andrew Yang is going to be the only person of color. There'll be no black candidates on stage. Castro will not be on stage. How does this change this race? Jason. Uh, I think it changes it significantly, as, particularly when you're talking about issues that affect people of color. I don't even think An Andrew Yang, yes, he's a person of color, but that's not really his wheelhouse. What he talks He's lighter about, than me. Yeah, right. But he's still, he's still got some <laughs> color somewhere. And, and, you know, he likes to talk about economic issues. And, and even some of those, in my opinion, are a little bit questionable. But, you know, I, I think this changes, you know, for lack of a better word, it changes the complexion of the, of the entire race. Scott? Um, I, I don't think it's going to change much. She was role, other than the fact that there won't be a person of color or someone that looks like us and from our community on stage, which is a huge issue, she was polling at 3%. And, and let me say this, every campaign is hard, local, but let alone running for the president of the United States. Kamala couldn't create enough space for herself or she could not grow because she was stuck at a certain level of the polls once Biden got in. Biden's base is the African-American vote. 
You can't win the presidency without it. And once Biden got in, he's a walking sign for Obama endorsement. He spent eight years with him. He had long-term relationships, some 36 years in the Senate. And once he got in, you can look at the data and look at the articles. It may have been all the things that your prior panel discussed, but one of the things that she could not overcome was the Biden factor. And we got to recognize that. But that was the point, Reese and Monique, why, and I kept harping on this, look, I've spent more years in black media than anywhere else. And I'm telling you, I was there I knew we were going to get to this day. When, when you had those hearings, when she was killing Jeff Sessions, mm -hmm. I'm on the phone like, yo, need you on black radio tomorrow. They were going, she would go on Morning Joe. She would go on Today's Show. And I kept going, do both. Right. There were times when I kept saying, to Cory Booker. I tried to book him on a show, not available, not available. I'm like, yo. Then he would call out of the blue, hey, I can come on Tuesday. Dude, I ain't on Tuesday. And I would say no. And I'm like, no. Understanding for us, you got to be there. You got to build it. You got to talk to us. So now when you make that move, we already know you. I still believe part of the issue here is that unlike Biden, who can go and, and, and just, I need y'all to understand. I saw this with my own eyes. I was there at the NAACP in Detroit. Backstage. When Biden is talking to people, he wasn't saying, hi, I'm so-and-so. Right. He knew your name, mm -hmm. your name, mm -hmm. your name, exactly. your name. How's your wife? How's this? <laughs> and, I mean, that's what happened. I'm right. telling you, and I, I'm watching it. Mm -hmm. um, I watched Senator Harris, mm -hmm. and I watched her walk past the leadership of NAACP, mm -hmm. not having staff saying, Senator, the chair, President Emeritus, right. Youth College Debate. That's, that, makes all a of those things, makes a difference. Monique, begin to add up when you need one, two, three, four, and five points. Right. So, um, Vice President Biden is a career politician with a long, distinguished, successful career. He has had no other gig. That's his life story. So and he has done it. And, so and on the national stage. Okay. Don't interrupt me today, Scott, because the whole thing with black women is we're a little angry right now. Okay? So just <laughs> give me a minute. Forgive what me. What I am saying is um, he's got decades of relationships, right? So he doesn't have to learn the names. He doesn't have the learning curve of the other candidates. He knows the names. And by all accounts, even Lindsey Graham, hell of a great guy, period. So he's known to the black community. He's known for his good works in the community. He is a nice guy in the community, and he doesn't forget people. But here's the thing. Black people are risk-averse. And so if you're a candidate and we're sitting back, that's why so many people are shocked today. They were just looking. They want to see her do it good one more time. Mm -hmm. I like that girl. I like that Harris girl. That's what grandmom and them are saying. They know Joe Biden. They love Joe Biden. But it's not that they're opposed to a Harris. They just don't know who that is the same way. Right. And as, as for representing the older 45, over 45 black woman, the strongest block of voters in this country right now, we 
historically have seen our sons lynched. We historically have seen our husbands and our sons go to jail. You know, thank you for that, actually, Mr. Vice President Biden. We have seen so many of these things happen that it takes a lot for us to get in the game with you. And yes, I agree with L. Joy said, sometimes that means we hold people, even our own, to a higher standard. And we've got to learn that lesson be before the next cycle comes which is, which, which is why I made the point, Reese. you have to work it. It can't just be, I'm running, and then I'm going to sort it out. No, right. it, it, you have, I, I just think that they missed an opportunity for two and three and four years to build that. And then all of a sudden, I'm not starting anew. And now I'm starting anew with 24 other people. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I definitely can concede that Biden has, Vice President Biden has the relationships. But let's not mistake Biden standing with black voters with Biden's concern for black voters. Because what is his black agenda? I remember the day that Senator Kamala Harris announced you had ADOS. Hashtag tangibles. Where's your black agenda? I've never seen them under Biden's post, but Kamala Harris, what she did was she laid out a black agenda. She had her uh, entrepreneurship plan. She had her HBCU plan. She had her black maternal mortality plan. What is Vice President Biden's plan for black America? So him being on that stage certainly does not represent black America. It might represent the fact that he has black America's vote, according to the polls right now, but certainly he's not speaking to our issues. He's from our community, Really? Because I haven't seen anywhere at any point where he's ever addressed our issues in this race. Y'all bringing up, bringing up in terms of in terms of where we go next and these issues in terms of what comes up. Um, but one of the things that 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 still I think is 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 critically important. Monique, you made the point about black people being risk averse. Let's just be honest. For the last three years, all we've heard from mainstream media is essentially we gonna need a white person to beat Trump. And I do, and look, black people also watch television. And I think what you do have here, there is a belief. And I've, I have heard numerous black people, highly educated, upper income, middle income, low income say, yeah, we, 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 it's going it's to it's, it's take a white man to beat. When Michael Albanetti was on, uh, made that comment, and I lit his ass up on this show, <laughs> That, that, that notion has been brought... Now, we need somebody who can connect with them white folks in Wisconsin and Michigan and Indiana and Iowa. And I kept going, really? Yeah, but the Republicans control that narrative. And there are a lot of that's black so, people... That's so, that's so listen, people liberal believe media. That. A lot of people believe that. And they, don't, they can be black and white. It's because the country is so divided. Let the, the narrative driven by Donald Trump and the GOP... That, let's not forget... This is politics. All you need is one more vote than the next person. Now, however you get that one more vote, you can get into race and class and gender and all these other things, right? But in the end, whatever it takes to get one more vote. So I understand that concern about we need somebody white, but that's not a bad political strategy given the narrative Donald Trump and his followers in the GOP have exercised. That doesn't mean it's right. It just means we got to figure out a way yeah. to win. Jason. And right now, yeah, yeah, tell me what Democrat wants to win. But yeah, don't you I, think that it's Now, you want to interrupt me now. I, no, I thought you were done, and I was me. actually going to agree with you. I'm a black man. I'm sorry. I was going to agree with them. Jason? Jeez Louise. Oh, you started it. I didn't. Jason? Yeah, so so I, I would agree that, that African Americans are, are risk-averse, and, and we always have to remember that 
uh, Obama turned the tide with African-American voters after Iowa. They were like, let me see if this brother can win amongst... For black you know, people, too. ...amongst uh, white <laughs> folks, if yeah. white folks will accept him, because if it's just... We're, we're afraid that it's going to be Jesse Jackson again from uh, 84 and 88, where he had strong support in the black community, but that just wasn't enough. African-Americans are, are a smaller group. But even though... Yeah, black, he had to rent no coalition but, no, no, but, but even but, but here's the thing, though, that was important. First of all, he finished both campaigns. Two, mm -hmm. by Reverend Jackson, finished in 1988, second to Michael Dukakis. He then had the political leverage to change the Democratic Party. So there's a difference between running and dropping out. When Braun ran, Mosley Braun ran in 2004, and Sharpton ran, they didn't change the party. Right. Jackson changed the party. Ron Brown became chairman of the Democratic National Committee because of Reverend Jackson. In fact, without Reverend Jackson finishing second in 1988, there is no Obama in 2008 because he changed the Democratic Party rules in 1988, which took away from winner-take-all to proportional. And, and so there's value in finishing. That's right. why I think you got a lot of black women who are ticked and some other people as well that Senator Kamala Harris mm -mm. had, to, I, had I, to end it today. Can, can I tell you my theory? Jason Let me just say, first of all, I, I truly believe this is just my theory, but I, I believe that... Don't look at me like that, Roland. I, I, <laughs> he's like, he gave me the rock look. Today. I was looking no, at you. But I, 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 believe, I believe that she made a deal with Joe Biden because I, I just don't understand why she would drop out right now. It just doesn't make sense the five, to me the deadline dropping to, out. The deadline to remove your name from the California ballot is December 26th. Right. Monique. Yeah. yeah. No, yeah. yeah. That was, there was... There's some calculus. I don't think it's that. But what... To your point about Jackson staying in the race, that to me goes into what I started out saying, black people, if you want to see a black person on stage, then black people money is required for a black person to be on stage because how do Reverend Jackson stay in the race? I mean, there, there, there were they millionaires. Churches. There were churches, but there were millionaires the with, with, giving with, uh, FEC planes. Yeah. There were, yeah. there were millionaires, right? Letting them, I'm, I'm, and I'm, I'm sure I know what I'm talking about. Right. There were people writing checks, big ones, because it was important to them that he stay in. And I don't think that people act adequately or accurately assessed the real danger of her finishing now, nor, in my mind, did they understand her level of integrity that even though she had staff that would have stayed on volunteering, she wasn't going to drag staff where she knew she couldn't see a way to pay them. I mean, she said in the donor call she would have had to come up with $5 million in the next two weeks to see any to see a path forward, and that that just was not what they thought was going to happen. Risa, you mentioned the, uh, some, the folks who were targeting her, asking about her black agenda. Mm -hmm. uh, and some of these people, I see them on our YouTube channel, some other places, they're like, uh, they say, yeah, but she said, um, you know, they sent out, so I'm not going to sit here and say I'm going to do something specific that's only going to benefit black people. Right. No. And so, so they're like, oh, they're, they're claiming victory. They're, these mm -hmm. Adolf people are claiming victory mm -hmm. that Kamala Harris dropped out as if they're the reason for it happening. Mm -hmm. 
Well, I, and, and you've been battling them just a little bit okay. over the last several months. Well, and I actually debunked that specific clip because what, um, what she said before and after was that essentially, and this has been her message all along, which I agree with, is that when something benefits black people, it benefits America. So her point was, if you do something that benefits black America, you increase our GDP, that increases the GDP of the entire country. So what they did was they selectively edited that, which is what they do for many of the clips, to try to give a different... Um, portrayal than what her remarks really meant. And I, I appreciated that part of her campaign was really um, normalizing rather than otherizing yeah. African Americans. You know, a big thing came out of Essence Festival where they said, oh, she got up there and she said, um, you know, I want to talk about uh, the economy. I want to talk about this. And her point was... Those are our issues. Those are our issues. Yeah. And so um, a lot of her, her, her talking points or, or her comments have been weaponized to really pull the okie dog on us. Yeah. You know, we've been bamboozled, and so many of us, like you said, people are cheering, and I saw a tweet that said, you know, woke Twitter is so woke that we don't have any more black people in the race. Yeah. And, or, well, we still have Cory Booker, let me be clear, Senator Cory Booker, but the you don't know what you got until it's gone. And people didn't really appreciate what Senator Kamala Harris represented, that she is a trailblazing black woman trying to do the impossible. And now that that voice is not going to be represented, then now it's like, oh, crap, what did we do? I don't well, think we... Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean and that people don't understand how hard it is for black women to manage anything. Like, it's not until you sit in the seat of a black woman and have to tell a white counterpart what to do, have to have a staff that's reporting to you that you see how much of an objection there really is. And it can be from our own folks. Mm -hmm. It's not just an external thing. I mean, as a black woman trying to... to aspire to be that which God made you to be, you got your grandmother saying, oh, baby, but the world might not be ready for that right now. Don't go too high too fast. And then you have some in fear. Like, I mean, it's a lot of us who prayed the entire eight years of the Obama presidency because we were scared to death that what they were going to try to do is kill our first black president. And so I, black women for all of the power, if you trace the roots of this country, mm -hmm. have been the scourge upon which this country was built. And so I don't let anybody try to compete with me for what it means to be a black American yep. woman. Scott, final point. <laughs> That's all true. That's all true. I agree. Except one problem. <laughs> She's the candidate. She picks the staff. She picks the managers. And if there was discourse or there was a problem with the staffing and leadership and decisions, let's be fair. Now, she got to take some responsibility for this. Listen, there is no... There staff. is no... I didn't, I didn't mean that. I wasn't there talking is about her no, sister or her brother-in-law. I that, meant seeing a black woman as a boss. I, I meant never. the way the public conceives Thank you for interrupting me a second time. You, I only interrupted you one time. Wrong. That's not what, that's not what I meant. In, anyway... She's got to take some responsibility. There is no campaign out here that is not flawed. It is hard running a presidential race, let alone a local race, and winning, right? So there are no perfect campaigns. Whoever wins didn't run a perfect campaign. And so I understand what my colleagues are saying up here. But at the same time, we got to get back to the base level that we're running the campaign. This is a big deal. You're running for the president of the United States, right? And... Everything we say and our disappointment may be relevant, probative, and material, but it's not dispositive. And what's dispositive is the 
and, and lower in the polling, whether you like the polling or not, she wasn't moving when she was at 10 or 15 percent, and then she started moving in the wrong direction. That wasn't caused by any outside sources or how she was covered. She wasn't connecting with the voters, and the Biden factor could not be overcome. Jason. Can I, can I just say that, like, and I, and I understand it, but I, I, at the same time, I don't think that we need to mourn so hard because I don't think she's disappeared from the national stage. Number one, she's going to be there for the impeachment hearings, which I think her presence is really important. Not that she wouldn't have been there, mm -hmm. but now she's not encumbered by, you know, having to uh, campaign and... And be it, there. Yeah, make campaign it to and be there, and right. And be back by Monday. Right. She's going to be laser-focused, and we know that that's her wheelhouse right there, you know, and I think that she is, uh, you know, an important presence there. Also, I think that she makes a lot of sense, whoever does become president, as, well, for if it's Biden, I think she could very well be his running mate, or she could be attorney general uh, if mm -hmm. we get a Democratic uh, administration. So I think that, you know, while I understand that people are upset, I think Kamala Harris has not disappeared right. from the national over. stage. Right. She will be back. Yes, Kamala Harris is certainly here to stay. She's a force mm -hmm. to be working with, and she has been a trailblazer her entire career. I, where I do have some disappointment is I think that some people stood on the sidelines hoping that maybe they could be selected for VP or they can get a cabinet position. And I think we're... I, and I said this in one of my videos, we're setting the precedent with how we allowed Kamala Harris to be treated, and she was mistreated in many ways. Even Julian, uh, Secretary Julian Castro said this. Mm -hmm. People that didn't stand with her have made it that much harder for them the next time because that means that's one less stumbling block that was knocked over that she could have knocked over. And I agree with her dropping out now, there's going to be less of an impact than if people had really rallied behind her, if for no other reason, just for the historical aspect of it, to make it that much easier for the, the names people like to throw out, like Stacey Abrams or, you know, other people. Oh, I would support this black woman, just not this black woman. Well, that black woman is going to have it just as hard next time. Because we did not take the stand we needed to take with Senator Kamala Harris. So I'm proud of her. I salute her. She's certainly not going anywhere. But I think that we collectively missed an opportunity to, to set a strong message about black women and leadership in this country. Oni, final comment. Right. And of course she'll be around. And I hope she tries again. I just, you know, I'm, I'm annoyed by the Senate trial is her wheelhouse thing. Because, you know, I mean, the White House is her wheelhouse. The debate stage is her wheelhouse. She's got a lot of wheelhouses. So it's not that we're sending her back to where she's good at what she does. Because she was the best of the candidates that were on the stage to do the job of being president of the United States. And that's why we're taking it hard today, Jason, because his statements like that. She would be a great attorney general. Well, she passed up that job eight years ago. So it's, it's, it's that, for me, we need to recognize when we have these opportunities that it is, just as she said, much harder the next time if we don't break down some of these barriers within our own community so that when we have real opportunities, we take advantage of them and throw our full faith and support behind it. I agree with everything Scott said about flawed campaigns, and I, I think that that is every campaign. So I don't, I don't have any bone whatsoever to pick with that. I just think that she got held to a different standard, and all of the metrics prove that. And as, of course, word came out that she was dropping her campaign, her husband, Douglas Imhoff, dropped this on Twitter. It was beautiful. I've got you, as always.
On that note, we'll end our segment. Thanks to all of our panelists for discussing uh, Senator Kamala Harris dropping out of the presidential race. When we come back, we'll talk with former FCC Commissioner Mignon Clyburn about these cable wars with content providers coming on the heel of, guess what, Byron Allen, him fighting Comcast as well. All of that right on Roller Martin Unfiltered. Next. You want to check out Roller Martin Unfiltered? YouTube.com forward slash Roland S. Martin. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. There's only one daily digital show out here that keeps it black and keep it real. It's Roland Martin Unfiltered. See that name right there? Roland Martin Unfiltered. Like, share, subscribe to our YouTube channel. That's YouTube.com forward slash Roland S. Martin. And don't forget to turn on your notifications so when we go live, you'll know it. You want to support Roller Martin Unfiltered? Be sure to join our Bring the Funk fan club. Every dollar that you give to us supports our daily digital show. There's only one daily digital show out here that keeps it black and keep it real as Roland Martin Unfiltered. Support the Roland Martin Unfiltered daily digital show by going to RolandMartinUnfiltered.com. Our goal is to get 20,000 of our fans contributing 50 bucks each for the whole year. You can make this possible. RolandMartinUnfiltered.com. You want to check out Roland Martin Unfiltered? YouTube.com forward slash Roland S. Martin. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. There's only one daily digital show out here that keeps it black and keep it real. It's Roland Martin Unfiltered. See that name right there? Roland Martin Unfiltered. Like, share, subscribe to our YouTube channel. That's YouTube.com forward slash Roland S. Martin. And don't forget to turn on your notifications so when we go live, you'll know it. Well, it's amazing how many people all of a sudden realize the drama happening in the cable industry when it comes to companies uh, trying to get carried uh, since Byron Allen, of course, has gone to Supreme Court in his battle against Comcast. Uh, all of a sudden, of course, you've been watching uh, social media, 50 Cent. Uh, he's been blasting cable companies with Comcast dropping stars uh, from uh, their system. Other networks out there uh, fighting, the ba fighting the battles against DirecTV and Dish and AT&T and Charter and Comcast. What in the hell is happening uh, in this industry? Well, my next guest, she understands it quite well. She served uh, a number of years on the Federal Communications Commission as, uh, one, of the, uh, as one of the members, Mignon. Clyburn. She joins us right now. She, of course, also uh, is uh, working with her own clients. Uh, you were working with Elizabeth Lionsgate? Yes. Uh, who's, okay. Which, um, of course, owns stars. Yep, absolutely. So, uh, again, it's it's a lot of people have been learning just all these inner workings and how these deal works. I mean, who gets carriage? Who doesn't? What level you're on? Do you get paid? You don't get paid. You get dropped. So, so what, what do you make of just... Uh, all of the dialogue that's been just taking place uh, over the last several months? Well, of course, it boils down to dollars and cents. Um, and who doesn't have, you know, the person who doesn't have the cents, they don't get the dollars. And, and so with this particular case, um, it is definitely a numbers game, but it's a number game, numbers game in two directions. One, you've got a network, meaning stars, um, that has, you know, they have several channels, about 17 that they carry over the Comcast network. They've got top-rated shows. Uh, they do, they're doing well in all of the markets that Comcast carries. Yet, by December 10th, they're going to be off the air. No, all 17? They're the stars. If you want to get stars, if you want to get those networks, those channels, which carries, as you mentioned, 50 Cent uh, is, is in and is executive producer in stars, you've got a number of top-rated women, Latinx, and, 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 and African-American-owned uh, programs, they're going to be off the air as of uh, December 10th because what we call a program carriage dispute, meaning Comcast wants to pay less than they're paying now 
uh, for STARS content. And, and so that is the big thing. And STARS is worried, of course, that they cannot bring you quality programming if they're getting paid under what, what they need. And so for the folks, again, who are, I mean, look, I, I spent 13 of the first 14 years at TV One, uh, been knowing all this drama back and forth in terms of how it works. Uh, and, and so what you have here is very simple. And that is companies like Comcast, Charter, um, uh, AT&T with owning DirecTV, Dish, look, they control the distribution. They absolutely do. And, and so, what ha so deal is, so to get on those systems, when the negotiation comes in, a lot of that is driven by the power of the company you have. So, for instance, uh, when, uh, when Univision and ABC uh, partnered, and why the name is escaping me, I forgot the network uh, that they actually launched. It's supposed to be targeting millennial uh, uh, Latinos. I mean, that network, that, that network, because ABC was with them, they basically said they, they, they were in 40, 50 million homes. Why? Because ABC had ESPN, they had D Disney, they had all these other assets. And so you, you have these p large companies bring heft, and so they have a lot more leverage. And they own about three quarters of what you're seeing. Right. And so if you're an independent, you have an independent channel or so network. So the case of stars, Lionsgate owns stars, but Lionsgate is not a, Lionsgate is not owned by a Disney or we used to be Fox or CBS and Viacom. It's it's an independent operator. It is an independent operator. It is not a distributor, so you cannot. You, it's not a cable company, so you're not going to get access over the airwaves if you do not go through a Comcast or or or, or, or a Dish with satellite, you know, or, or any of those other. They are the gateways to you watching television. And what the problem is, what the Cable Act did not envision, I don't think, is all of these companies, the big Comcast of the world, owning not only the network or, 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 or the station or that platform, but they're owning studios, they're getting content. Right. And so now it is felt that they're favoring their Comcast count, uh, content, paying for their content, at the expense of the independents. Now, now, now what people also don't realize, again, there were laws against that. Yes. There used to be a law called FinCEN, that, you, that, that companies could not have uh, a financial interest in syndicated content. And so there was a point back in the 30s and 40s where networks, they did both. They produced the content and they put it on. Congress said... In 1992, unfair. he said that... Congress said unfair. Right. Absolutely. Had, had, you can't do both. But then, changes in administration, they go, oh, no, the, I love that the competitive balance has changed. Absolutely. Same thing, there used, to, there used to be laws. You could not own a newspaper and a TV station or a radio station in the same market. Law, FCC, administrations, laws change. And the interpretation of those laws. Right. And the implementation of those laws change. And, and, so, so, and, so, and so what ended up happening, uh, uh, I discussed this with Byron Allen because I was on one of the calls, major broadcasting cable network. I was doing some work for them. I was on the call when there was a meeting with DirecTV. And they were trying to get this LLC with, with major broadcasting cable network that James and Jackson, Alvin James, Marlon Jackson, they were hoping DirecTV was going to invest. DirecTV, the guy literally said, oh, we thought y'all were here to give us an equity stake. So what happened was, a lot of the a lot of the reasons these these large companies own cable channels is because they were given equity stakes in the channels in order to be to be carried on their systems. And again, when the act was envisioned, 
that was not supposed to happen. There was not supposed to be that leverage. There was not supposed to be that financial interest. And lo and behold, uh, by different interpretations, and again, the lack of enforcement by the FCC and others, now we see what we do. Uh, that companies are scared, independent networks are rightly scared, that Comcast or anybody else is gonna wait them out if you're a regional sports network, if you're an independent um, you know, network, that they're going to wake you out. Well, in fact, they're being sued right now by absolutely. the uh, regional sports network out of Colorado. Absolutely. And that is what's happening now. And it is that entity's fear is called Altitude Sports. That entity's fear that they're going to wait them out, they're going to wait for them to go under. Because if you're a Nuggets fan, and if you're a, a, a fan of, uh, is it called the Avalanche? The, uh, uh, yeah, the, the hockey team uh, and, and Denver. You can't watch their games. They've been off the air since August 31st. What does that mean? No revenue. What does that mean? Lo and behold, if they wait them out, and if that, if Altitude Sports goes right. under, who's going to be there waiting in the wings to take over that uh, that franchise or, 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 or that network? Well, in fact, we've seen it because uh, when Bob Johnson owned the Charlotte uh, Bobcats, Bob he wanted to create a regional sports network. Uh, the cable providers in that market refused to carry it. Eventually, they canceled that regional sports network and then basically signed a deal because the same thing happened in Houston. Uh, we get a battle there as well uh, in terms of a deal. Los Angeles, where the Dodgers would not carry it, I think for like two or three years over a battle there because they wanted to create their own deal. And they're like, okay, we're not going to see the support your channel when you're making the money because it used to be a rights deal. But they also signed. So, uh, and so... Where do we go so in terms of like what happens now? Because you have a Republican administration, uh, and tip historically, Republican administrations uh, believe in deregulation, and whatever companies want to do, they can do whatever they want. But they believe in deregulation in certain cases because broadcasters, the traditional broadcasters, they have what they call must-carry rights. They have to engage in, in fair negotiations. That is written in stone. What the answer is here, as we are migrating to different platforms and we've got hundreds of stations and hopefully more opportunities, is the same rules that apply for broadcasters should apply to the independent broadcasters who appear or who are trying to get over these cable and satellite networks. If it is not the same, we're going to see more of this and those independents, the, you know, those creative people um, who really want to get their shows on the air that look more like us, like stars, that are, are diverse and inclusive. You will not see them on the air unless they are owned uh, by those big conglomerates. That is the fear. And so, and look, we, we've had the battles before, so what ends up happening uh, where these cable systems, they've taken networks off of the air uh, over a period of time, some a week, two weeks, a month, three months, even longer. Uh, typically, like for instance, with your broadcast networks, to your whole point about retransmission, what has happened before, Congress starts yelling, especially around Super Bowl major events, and the deal is cut. Uh, this is obviously different. It is. Uh, because you talk about independence. So, um, what does the consumer do? Because, frankly, somebody out there is watching saying, look, these are rich people who are fighting. These are rich people's issues. But again, what do you say? I, I say, you sign up for service thinking you were going to get a n series of networks to include, in this case, stars. You want to see the end of the season finale of Power. Guess what? You probably will not see that if you're a Comcast a provider. If so, like, you I, I have Xfinity, so I won't be able to see it. That's right. Unless you pay $12 a month more. Unless 
you, you do it what we call a la carte. So what about what about paying what about paying twelve You are paying because it's not going to be on that that tier that you signed up that that um, that premium tier that you signed up for that that it's not going to be over there. Stars will not be over that network, so now you have to pay more in order to get that in, um, you know, monthly. So you signed up for service. You thought you were going to get uh, these 17 channels. You thought you were going to see who shot, find out who shot ghosts. And as of the 10th of uh, December, you will not be able to see that. But, but, but are we also, though, moving to the point... First of all, cord cutting is increasing in a huge way. It is. Uh, people who are cutting cable in the last quarter, in the third quarter, AT&T alone, uh, lost 1.4 million subscribers. Uh, we're seeing the same thing across the board. Uh, for independent... Now, now, how's it also changed? Because I can tell you that was one of the concerns of the black networks, okay? What then happens if you go to an a la carte system? Uh, can black networks survive uh, in that world if folks are paying for individual cable channels? So now, most of my niece and nephew, they don't even care. They don't even own a television. They're streaming. But who's the gatekeeper when it comes to streaming? Um, you know, who is your uh, provider, um, your internet service provider? Who, who are you? Where are you getting that? Chances are very great. Um, guess who the number one internet service provider is in this country? Comcast. And so, no matter where you go... Which is also of... why the net neutrality issue was such a huge deal. Absolutely. Because, basically, what, the, what, what those companies wanted to do is they wanted to create lanes. So, essentially, if somebody wants to come and say, oh, we're going to pay extra for the super-fast highway, uh, you take this show right here. Uh, we, by, by, we benefit by being on an equal playing field in that if you want to watch this show, we live stream this show right now on YouTube, Periscope, and Facebook. Mm -hmm. And so because you, uh, you, it's an equal playing field, when you're watching this show, we're not relegated to some slow lane. Right. So essentially, you got high-speed internet, boom, you're watching us, it's not buffering, uh, it's not changing. That, that issue really became, because what the companies wanted, they wanted to create this super highway and be able to slow down some other people. And so what happens? If you're watching the show right now and we're buffering and it was real slow, you're not pissed off. I'm just going to turn it off because I'm right. frustrated. Because I'm going to assume it's you. I am going to assume it is something that is deficient in you, where it is very likely to be something deficient within, you know, that gatekeeper or, or whoever your subscriber Cause, is. Because didn't, they, didn't they might have interest. Didn't y'all find companies for throttling? We, we uh, attempted to do so. <laughs> We really attempted to, to really regulate the market in order for you to get the experience that you're receiving right now. Um, and you're receiving it right now because everybody is watching. Because remember, um, the FCC voted not so long ago to overturn, um, and they were upheld in court not so long ago in terms of net neutrality. So you really don't have protections right now, but everybody's watching. So no one is going to act up right now. And also, Congress, this is a bipartisan issue in Congress. It is. Uh, because you've got Republicans and Democrats who are like, uh-uh, don't, don't play that game. Uh, and so, yeah, so even though it got upheld, basically, they're not, tr they're not trying to go on that path. They're on full well. The last thing they want is a hard and fast regulation. But people get sleepy, and they stop looking, and they get accustomed when things change or maybe go back to where they were, or, or our biggest fears are realized. And we have a tendency to explain away uh, things that are happening that are happening that are less than um, 
that are less than desirable. So that is what we have to wait for. My thing has always been, if you're not doing anything wrong, why are you scared of rules? Um, if you believe in net neutrality principles, if you believe in a level playing field, why not have the rules in place? The same is true here. Again, the 1992 Cable Act is not living up to its promise. And because of that, now you're seeing all of these owners, these big conglomerates, who are not only controlling the gateway, what you watch, but they're also controlling, you know, those con the content, and they're being very dominant, and they are squeezing out these small guys either to buy them out or to wait them out. But regardless, the result is the same. They are in control of the content, and it is not necessarily a diverse and inclusive. And when that is the case, um, someone else uh, is dictating, in essence, what we see over the air, and it might not be a true reflection of what's going on in our communities. Remember, that's what happened when, when, when you're dealing with paid television. I mean, bottom line is, unlike broadcast. But you've got a control. Um, you can subscribe or not. Um, you can let those uh, who you buy service from know what you want. Um, you are not powerless here. Your individuals are not powerless here. And you can also, um, one thing that I wanted to mention is D.C. Council today really shed a light. They voted unanimously to look uh, and to, in essence, criticize Comcast because um, they're one of three providers in, in the District of Columbia. District of Columbia is pretty lucky. They've got um, a little bit of competition here. But they note as a major powerhouse that Comcast is, in essence, you know, putting a tax on those who might not be as wealthy, those who are interested in this content, people of color, well, underrepresented well, community. Well, in fact, that, that, that the reality, though, is this is what the, this industry has done for years. The reality is, um, and again, I know this because I experienced it. You lived it, it yes. Uh, you, the two black networks that I've worked with, Major Broadcasting Cable Network and TV One, they put us on the upper tier. Which because means they, I had they, to search hard. So, if, so if, you, if, you wanted, if you wanted the black networks, you get to pay that one. They, they, we were on the same tier in many places as HBO, right. Stars, and Showtime. Right. So if you wanted the black networks... You had to pay more. Right. So there's also a reason why they put the family networks top tier. Because they want to make families pay for Disney, Nickelodeon, and those networks because you're spending more a month on cable. And so that's and so that's because only one black network on basic BT consistently were grandfathered in because of the first black network, and that's 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 what you're dealing with. I think again, people are not understanding the economics of uh, the business. But they're not understanding the economics of the business in terms of what leverage they actually have. They're not understanding that places like DC Council, they give Comcast and the other two. Mm -hmm. Um, the right to be here. Right. It is not automatic. And so if they are not fulfilling yeah, your the, needs... Yeah, the franchise agreement. Exactly. If they're not fulfilling your needs, if they're not living up to... Uh, and, and that's what Baltimore and D.C. said. We believe in diversity and conclusion. And we want um, the, the programming to reflect our communities. And if it is not then we are going to, at the appropriate time, rethink your franchise agreement, and maybe you won't be able to do business here. This is the power of an individual. You elect those members of Congress when it's time for that franchise agreement to come up, or if there is a way to recall, or, or when I say recall in this instance, 
come up for a vote, if there's a, con if there's a dispute, um, then exercise that and have the companies uh, have them held accountable. Uh, so You've I got the power to do that. So I take it um, come December 10th or December 11th, uh, we can expect to see uh, 50 Cent going pretty hard, huh? I, I think you've seen them going hard right now. <laughs> I, I think you're going to see people like me and you going pretty hard right now because, again, you're talking about a network um, that um, is, is more inclusive than any other network, uh, you know, right now in terms of uh, the type of programming that, that is not African-American owned. Uh, you know, I, I could tell you about the, you know, 65% of the leadership is female, 41% women of color. Uh, the industry average in terms of diversity of that type is 27%. So they exceed it. So if you care uh, about uh, content, if you care about people like you and me being employed and, and having leadership roles and being executive producers, 50 Cent is an executive producer. You know, Courtney, the creator uh, you know, of the show, they, she looks like me. Well, sort of like me. She's better looking than me. Um, but again, these are people who are uh, creating content of and by us. And if uh, that is taken away, then what is our future in terms of what we're seeing and consuming and creating and having a voice with, with over the airwaves? That's important. All right. Well, we'll see what happens. Man, Young Clyburn, thanks a bunch. My pleasure. All right, folks. Uh, we've got to go. Uh, we certainly appreciate all of you watching uh, today's show. Uh, of course, y'all know I had a crazy white person segment. I'm just going to save it because we got lots of them. Uh, so we'll see that for you tomorrow. And so we certainly appreciate it. Don't forget, if you want to support Roland Martin Unfiltered, go to RolandMartinUnfiltered.com. Join our Bring the Funk fan club. Every dollar you give goes to support what we do, keeping the show black-owned and independent so we can speak truth to power and don't have to answer to anybody else. So again, RolandMartinUnfiltered.com. All right, don't even try. You ain't even go from. Nets. You ain't even from here. We ain't from here. Got on the colors. You Got on the colors. Here. Actually, that wasn't the colors. Okay. <laughs> but you you from South Carolina. <laughs> and we know what my Texas A&M Aggies did to your Gamecocks. That's all right. I thought so. Year. Yeah. We, we, we don't, we don't, we've we only beaten South Carolina every year we've been in the SEC. Year. They've been saying next year for seven years. All right, y'all. We got to go. I'll see you guys later. Holla! From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, 
We've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Nobody wants to outlive their money, but it happens, especially for women. That's why GameBridge offers the Parity Flex annuity, designed for women's unique retirement needs, with flexible withdrawals plus a guaranteed lifetime income benefit that keeps paying you even if your account balance is zero. GameBridge is helping build a better financial future for women. Retirement income, you you can't outlive is the ultimate flex. Start saving now at GameBridge.io. Visit GameBridge.io slash ParityFlex for current rates, full product disclosures and disclaimers, and other important information.